Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're talking about Bottoms, the exciting new indie comedy uh, from Emma Seligman. We're also talking about They Live, the 35th anniversary re-release is out in theaters. I want to be honest, we were off last week, and it was a nice uh, break for going to the, from going to the movies through summer, uh, but there's nothing cool coming out, Andy. <laughs> there is nothing was, to watch. We, we had like, mom, what, Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 and like 3 Equalizer, and I didn't see the other two Equalizer movies, and, and it's been dry. It's been dry. Yeah, yeah, there. Uh, September is somewhat like January, where where studios just dump whatever, and a lot of times the movie choices aren't great, and sometimes they're just kind of non-existent, <laughs> like like what is happening yeah. now. Yeah, that magical place between summer and 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 award season films, right? Uh, not not a lot's going on in the press either. Uh, the strike is keeping things going, right? Seems seemingly no end in sight for strikes in Hollywood. Uh, but we do have an exciting story regarding uh, strikes, and apparently, uh, the, the the SAG after strike shut down the Beetlejuice two production. In case you forgot, Beetlejuice 2 is coming uh, from director Tim Burton, of course, starring Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice. That's really happening. Uh, Catherine O'Hara's back for it. Winona Ryder's back for it. And apparently they were just shy of actually finishing the film uh, before the strike shut everything down. Uh, Tim Burton told Variety this week that we're almost there. Or I'm sorry, The Independent this week, that they're almost there. That uh, <laughs> they nearly have the movie ready to go. Uh, and just a quick update from him I-, I wanted to give on how this is because they actually had a couple of, of fun facts about the Beetlejuice 2 production that I thought might be some good fill-in for news this week. Andy, what do you, what do you think of Beetlejuice 2? Did you see the first one, Hot Takes? I, s- I still have yet to see the first Beetlejuice <laughs> Uh, a little bit before my time, it's, but it is a classic from what I understand. I know the sequel's a big deal. Winona Ryder, still in the business, is coming back for it as well as my, Michael Keaton. Um, but yeah, don't really know too much about it. Yeah, I think I've I, seen I it with the, the cartoon more than anything. <laughs> I know, I, I know, I know. Stars to include in this feature uh, that are, that are coming newcomers is going to be Jenna Ortega, Willem Dafoe, Monica Bellucci, and Justin Thoreau. Like not small number, not not small names, especially Willem Dafoe in a Beetlejuice movie. But uh, most interestingly, I wanted to say that number one, Michael Keaton apparently is a very big fan of this project. He he gushed about the special effects. He said it's the most effing fun you can have working. <laughs> He said it's so fun. It's so great. It's just like the first movie. I, I love it. And uh, interestingly, Tim Burton said that uh, coming off of Dumbo, which he made for Disney in 2019, he's sworn off working for Disney after the experience of making a temple there. He said the thing about Dumbo, he said it, it, it's autobiographical, Tim Burton said, about the movie Dumbo. He said that it... Uh, he said that he was Dumbo in the movie and working on this horrible big circus and he needed to escape. Uh, wild. Wild stuff. I'm glad to hear Tim Burton's still wild. I don't know what Beetlejuice 2 is going to be, but uh, keep it hard off script for more. Uh, but the real news this week, I think the one big story we all need to talk about, uh, Taylor Swift is blowing up the box office uh, out of nowhere, uh, seemingly. Andy, what's what's going on with the Ares tour? Why is this important for movies? Taylor Swift, savior of cinema. Uh, some exciting things are happening. So the Taylor Swift Ares tour film, it's, it's a concert film. Uh, is going to be coming out in October and playing for originally playing just for a couple of weeks. And uh, this thing just blew up the box office. It had 26 million in pre-sales to put that into perspective. This, the next biggest movie after that, that AMC has had was Spider-Man uh, no way home, which had 16 million. So this made $10 million more. And that was a huge movie. That was a billion dollar movie. 
uh, uh, No Way Home Home was. And now this concert film has blown that out, out of the water. They've added additional show times that I think is going to be playing for a couple more weeks. Movies are moving out of the way, like the the new Exorcist movie moved out of the way. Another movie moved got abandoned that release weekend um, to make way for Taylor Swift, new queen of cinema. Uh, yeah, Jason Bloom, owner of Bloomhouse Productions, uh, pro- producers, of course, of the new Exorcist movie that just got moved, tweeted on the day. He was like, all right, something cheeky. Like, all right, you win, Swifties. We, we're moving The Exorcist because we can't we can't compete with this now coming to theaters. Uh, I mean, huge W for Taylor Swift, right? Like as if the Eras tour wasn't making a big enough splash. Uh, she's going to be making her headway at theaters earlier than expected because I know she's getting into uh, directing. This is also a big win for AMC, who's the distributor of this. Uh, AMC has been dabbling in distributing other events besides just films, right? Like nostalgia releases through their Fathom Events brand that's working in partnership with Cinemark and Regal uh, through like Broadway plays and stuff. They do musicals. Like they got all kinds of stuff running at AMCs now. Uh, and now it looks like they're getting into the exhibition business. I don't know if they've done this a lot before, uh, but Taylor Swift is definitely going to be their first big show. And they made it clear they are going to be making more of these things. They, they expect to unveil more exhibition partners in the coming weeks. They've already announced like running U.S. locations for these things. I mean, it's like it's like by buying a soft ticket to a concert, right? Puts you right there in the show. Um, I can't believe how well it's doing. <laughs> It's it's baffling. Uh, it's it's really something else. Um, this isn't anything we'd heard about on off script. I mean, we cover movie news all the time, and like I didn't hear anything about the Eras tour getting turned into like a two and a half hour functional like concert doc, right? Uh, but it turns out it's going to be a big deal. I can't believe it. Wild wild news. Yeah, it, it's going to be huge. And the thing is. <laughs> I was going to say, you really want to avoid either go, if you're going to see it, like don't watch anything else while this movie's going on because it's a concert film and people are going to be singing along and it's almost three hours. So if you're in the poor theater next to the the Taylor Swift Eras tour, like you're not going to hear anything but all of Taylor Swift songs. Um, word on the street is the Hollywood studios are actually really upset about this a little bit because they were left out of this deal, you know, because of the strikes. And so Taylor Swift uh, dealt directly with AMC to distribute the film. So none of the big studios, uh, Warner Brothers, Paramount, etc., cetera, uh, got, any of the, got in on any of the d- distribution rights and distribution money specifically. So that's uh, kind, of, kind of a nice uh, kickback uh, or, you know, stand up to them in this time during the strikes. Yeah, I had heard something about that. I, I, it's hard to believe we still don't have like an end game for the strikes. I know I mentioned it before Beetlejuice too, but like, I really, we would report on it if there was like, if there was some meeting with like the AMPT and like SAG after getting together and deciding something, like we talk about it. Like, there's nothing. They, they've been going for months, and like they're just gonna keep doing it. I guess it's, it's, gen- genuinely wild. Like that's the strike update for the week. I guess. Um, Andy, have you heard anything? Am I? I mean, I'm not crazy, right? Uh, no, they they go back and forth. Uh, the studios made a couple of bad offers that were instantly rejected by SAG-AFTRA and and the writers, uh, writer strike, actor strike, all that. And so uh, we're still we're still deadlocked. 
Yeah. Well, hopefully something changes. Keep it here on off script for more. We'll report on it when it does. Uh, one more story this week uh, at the box office. Uh, the Nun 2 scares up 3,200 domestic opening. I couldn't I couldn't get over my own joke. Yes, The Nun 2 does well at the box office. Uh, Andy, did you see The Nun 1? Why didn't we watch this for the show? Because I didn't, and I feel I like d- I... I don't know. I don't feel like I would have gone for this. I did not. So th- this is, of course, part of the larger Conjuring uh, universe which is, I think, been a billion-dollar franchise at this point. Uh, the Nun, the first mo- Nun movie, is apparently the most profitable of all the Conjuring-verse films, uh, debuted to over $100 million. This one isn't doing quite as well, but uh, you know, it's a very successful property in, in the franchise, so no wonder they did it. And I, and I think it, it's doing fine money for probably what it, what it costs. Uh, I think I read it cost $22 million and it's made about 88 globally. So they're already doing well. I think I've said it before and I'll say it again. Like I think the nun, the nun two is a great example of why like an effective budget is important when you make a movie. Cause it's not a very big budget feature and it's making hand over fist what it costs to make. Right. Compare this to like another, not soft horror per se, but you know, similar kind of late summer movie. I, I, I was gonna say Haunted Mansion. Haunted Mansion came out in July. Uh, Haunted Mansion made like twenty five million opening weekend, right? Like worse than this, but still respectable. But cost quadruple what the Nun Two cost to make. You know what I mean? Like the reason small horror movies are doing so well is because they're cheap and because they turn a profit. And like, I think some of the bigger productions in Hollywood could stand to learn a lesson from that. Um, huge win for the nun community. I'm not a nun guy. I've never <laughs> been scared of nuns. I, I didn't get the nun one much. Um, but you know, I, I, this is different, this different horror out there for everybody. Uh, also, I'm not wise on the conjuring movies either. Right. Andy, you're not either. Right. How, how caught up are you on uh, those flicks? I, I can't keep up. We, we reviewed one for the show. I think the Which the one? devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. I did or maybe we? We, I did, or maybe I just saw it. No, I think we did. I, I'm thinking about it. I think <laughs> that's how did. forgettable it is. I think we did do one. Now that I think about it, yeah. Oh I always get that confused with Insidious because I think Patrick Wilson is in both of them. Yes, and I heard he wants to direct another one of those features. A- anyway, surprisingly light news. Uh, surprisingly light offerings at the box office uh, right now, but. Uh, we do have something exciting to talk about this week, uh, an indie feature uh, that we've kind of had on our radar for a little while. I think we might have covered it in a trailer park a while back. Uh, we've finally seen it. We're excited to talk about it. Andy, please uh, take it away. Bottoms. So this is the latest indie film uh, starring Rachel Sennett and Ayo Itabiri, who are upcoming queens of of independent cinema, uh, Rachel mm. Sennett. Was in uh, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies from last summer. Was in HBO's The Idol. Is in this, and uh, she's got a lot of stuff, a lot of projects on the way. Ao Itabiri, of course, um, made her splash in The Bear seasons one and two, as well as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem, um, and is back in here. They play PJ and Josie, who are two kind of high school losers. Uh, they are lesbians, and they come up with this uh, kind of harebrained scheme, kind of inspired by 80, 80s uh, comedies, things like Revenge of the Nerds, of like that you, they used to come up with a, a scheme to get the girl, and so that's what they they do. They they come up with this idea to come to uh, create a self defense class 
um, invite other 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 girls in hopes to you know hooking up with the the cheerleaders. Um, this is a gay satire movie. What what is kind of strange or caught me by surprise is that it's completely surreal. Like it's the kind of th- thing where you know there's announcements like we won't be reading this year because all the books were lost in the last school shooting, and it's like played serious, you know. <laughs> um, and it, it was completely un- unexpected, but it has a, a lot of these tr- these kind of coming of age tropes. But it it ha- it kind of touches on very serious issues or more serious issues m- more within uh, the gay community. Ideally, we w- we would have uh, a lesbian on our show <laughs> to talk about it. No yeah. more than two uh, two straight guys, but uh, we're happy to cover it. Uh, the movie's a lot of fun. It's it's hilarious. I laughed m- way more than I th- thought. Um, and of course, their scheme goes goes wrong, and uh, they're out at, at some point. Um, but it's a lot of good good stuff. Uh, a, b- a big surprise. What what did you think, Zach? Uh, Bottoms is tremendous. Uh, I really enjoyed this movie. I'm excited to talk about this. Um, you know, it's it's not every day that like an indie comedy comes along that just knocks it out of the park. Uh, and there's a lot of films that are aimed at, I think, like progressive teenage audiences, right? That that kind of swing for that fence. Uh, Rachel Snow was in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies uh, earlier, uh, well, last year. Um, and that movie was, you know, really funny and, and a little scary, but like kind of treaded a fine line. Uh, we, Olivia Wilde put out Booksmart a while back that we covered on the show, which was like kind of sounded like a super bad clone. And then you go see it and it's like out of nowhere hilarious. Like Bottoms is like very satisfyingly one of these features. Like it is really funny. It is scathingly surreal. White hot script. Uh, really fantastic work uh, from Ayo and Rachel Snow. Really excited to talk about it. Andy, where do we start? Man, well, why don't we start with our, our characters? Uh, so, so like in many uh, high school comedy, our main characters are kind of uh, losers. At one point the, over the intercom, <laughs> could the ugly, untalented gays keep, please come to the office? Um, yeah. You know, they're they're just normal, more normal girls, and they have crushes on the super hot girls. And uh, P, uh, PJ. Rachel Sennett's character uh, is very adamant about this and she's very improvisational. Like they kind of get st- stuck in, in, s- in several situations. She's able to talk her way out of it. She's very, it's kind of, she's very fake it till you make it. And AOE DeBerry is a lot more grounded. She's more just not trying so hard. And it, they, they make a fantastic duo and, and this idea of like, you know, they, they put together this self-defense class and they don't know anything about fighting, but they, um, they kind of come up with these, this is part of the surrealism. They put up, they come up with these lies of like, we were in juvenile and we killed people in juvenile to survive. And it's like, obviously no one would ever believe that, but it's, it's in a world where people do. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think the, the surreal nature of bottoms is what, it's like the icing on top of the cake that makes it work. Or really, I should say the foundation for the icing because, you know, the world is, is what your characters are built in. But, like, the premise is so goofy, right? Like, <laughs> Gay Fight Club, like, it, it, okay, <laughs> sure. But, like, where do you go with that? And, like, satisfyingly, like, dropping this premise and these characters in a world that is, like, bonkers and, like, just shy of completely upside down uh, makes it work so much better. Because, like, a lot of the things that don't make sense, you just glaze right over in the same of comedy and pacing and a rapid fire pace this movie has it moves very quickly 
Very quick movie. It's 91 minutes and it doesn't waste a second. Um, I, I was surprised at how fast we moved through like the school year in like an hour and a half or it's like, I don't know, a couple months, I think at least a month you move through, like there's a calendar progress in it. But, uh, fundamentally like what keeps it moving so quickly is it's fast transitions and it's, uh, clever comedy in the script. It's such a funny flick. Like, and Andy's right. Like it is chock full of clever lines and funny moments that come at you so quick. Like you can't remember a lot of them like me right now, struggling to come up with even one good one. Uh, <laughs> it's super funny. And like I hopped on the subreddit after and, and went looking and, and saw a bunch of people that were commenting like favorite lines from it, things they loved. Uh, super clever. Yeah. In, in addition to that, uh, characters, uh, at former, I think former fo- football player, Marshawn Lynch is, is in this. Uh, I don't know if he's acted before, but he plays one of the the teachers. He he's supposed to be endorsing the club, um, and he and he you know more or less uh, plays himself. But he's got some really funny lines, some good moments, and it's it's surprising to to have you know big football personality in this uh, indie film. Um, but like, like, there's great parts where he is—he's newly divorced and he's reading like porno magazine in in class, <laughs> you know. Which again, that that harkens back to the the surrealism. There's a great line where they need him to kind of sign him off on the club, and Aoyta Berry's character is he's like, "You don't even have to do anything. It's like saying you're an ally, like ooh, women, but then then you don't actually support them. <laughs> like, it, it, like some of the satire is so biting." Yeah, and I, I love the lens it holds up to, like, the work it's inspired by. Uh, it references Fight Club openly. They talk about it being a fight club. One of the characters like, I love David Fincher. Um, and I love the way the Fight Club escalates, like uh, the actual Fight Club in David Fincher's Fight Club. Uh, like, first, they're just, like, beating up on each other, but then one of them suggests, like, radical violence. <laughs> <laughs> and Sano's got a great line. She's like, yeah, okay, let's just do terrorism, you know? Uh, like horrifically sarcastic, um, really funny and like a, a really great swing at, you know, societal culture, especially in like the lens of high school. Um, all the boys are in football uniforms, the whole movie. Right. And they're all morons. Like they're so they're, they're, they're all complete airheads, right. Complete dunces led by uh, Nicholas Galitzin, who we last saw in, uh, red, white and Royal blue in a completely different step away from his performance in that movie. Uh, he's hilarious is Jeff, the lead football player. Uh, they're all just running around doing their own thing, excited about their big game. Their mascot has a big, you just keep an eye on the mascot in the movie. Uh, and meanwhile, like you've got this character, this like cavalcade of, of gay women who are, uh, you know, just trying to get by and like <laughs> trying to exist in a world that like doesn't really want anything to do with them and puts graffiti on their lockers. Like it, it sets up a, a place where they can be bitingly sarcastic to one another and like, you know, cruel, but ultimately kind, like in its softer moments to, to make like a really round, really funny feature that feels like it's full of a lot of heart. Yeah, it 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 works so much better than it it it, it I thought it was going to from the trailer. So I was like, "Oh, that looks kind of clever, but it it seems like it'll get real thin uh real <laughs> real fast." Um but somehow it it manages to just get more and more ridiculous uh the longer it goes. Our act 2 is filled with again lots of funny moments of the the girls are learning to fight or tr- trying to learn to fight. Um you know, there's great writing, there's good jokes. There's lots of physical humor. There's lots of over-the-top um, violence. There's, t- there's parts where, you know, Rachel Sun is just colored, covered in blood. 
uh, from from all the mayhem. Uh, it's just so surprisingly entertaining. Yeah, like it it comes together really well. I know um, the movie's written by Rachel Sano and Emma Seligman. I know they're, and I, I think I'm pronouncing Seligman's name wrong, so I'll correct later. But uh, uh, I I know there's an old photo of them floating around on Twitter of the two of them in like the NYU film lab like with a bunch of ideas for like shorts written on a whiteboard and one of them like big letters circled as gay fight club. Uh, and it's cool <laughs> to see like something, something simple like that, like turn into uh, something really, really clever uh, and, and, and really smart and really sharp, uh, a real, real firecracker of a movie. I think um, really excited that this came out in September when otherwise things have been pretty dry. Um I don't know what these girls are doing next either. I know I know Ayad Berry is doing uh, theater camp right now, which I want to see. I, I don't even know if that's playing anywhere near us, but uh, and then I don't know. I don't know what she's got next. Same with Rachel Snow, but like, yeah, I think Andy's right. Like both of these both of these girls are going places. Like keep keep an eye on them. They're 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 really sharp. Yeah, they they have like like I said, I I was saying I've been saying this week actually. Uh, Rachel Sennett is like. Like what Florence Pugh was like five or six years ago, uh, she was an indie darling before she was doing Marvel and these big bigger movies. Uh, you know, she was doing Midsummer, she was doing I can't remember, but other smaller films, and that's yeah. where really where she made her name, and that's kind of where these actors are right now. They are like taking, uh, taking the indie world by storm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the 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 deck is stacked. They know what they're doing. Uh, any other thoughts on this one, this one for recommendations, Andy? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Bottoms? Absolutely. It's a lot, a lot of fun, way funnier than I thought it was going to be, but uh, still very kind of important and biting satire on, on women and feminism and gay culture and issues within that, not, which does not include or relate <laughs> to us, but it, uh, it's such a, a great time. Um, good soundtrack and a quick 90 minutes. Highly recommend. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Bottoms is great. Please go see it in a theater. Support small cinema like this one. Uh, this is good stuff. You should absolutely catch it. I don't know what streaming service it'll be coming to, um, but you should keep an eye on it. Uh, try to get a couple friends together and go see it. Like it's, it's a really funny time. Like it's, it's good time. You will like bottoms. I did see that it will be on digital to rent like the September 22nd. So pretty soon here, unfortunately. Oof, 10 days. All right. Good news. <laughs> you can, you can also rent it, but if you don't, have, but if you don't want to wait or you're interested, like go check out bottoms. It's not a bad time. Uh, and with that, we should slide into our next segment. A couple exciting things coming out soon at the, at the box office. Andy, what do we call this? It's time for the trailer park. So we're going to be starting with The Bike Riders. Uh, this is a new film that just it just debuted at uh, the Telluride Film Festival. And we, uh, we got the first trailer for it. It star- stars um, Austin Butler, Jodie Comer, and Tom Hardy. Directed by Jeff Nichols, who previously did things like uh, Midnight Special, Mud, uh, Loving, and Take Shelter. Uh, Midnight Special, I think, is my favorite or the most what I'm familiar with, with his work. Um, this takes place in the sixties. Jody Comer is, uh, kind of from the Midwest, uh, girl next door who meets Austin Butler's, uh, Benny. And, uh, he, he's part of a motorcycle gang. 
Tom Hardy is, is the leader of said gang, taking on God knows what kind of accent. Who knows what it is? It's not English. It's not American. <laughs> I see. He swears like he he's, he sounds like Marlon Brando in The Godfather. Like like no joke. Just kind of who knows what. Um, I've heard this compared to a Goodfellas like level kind of film, which is high praise and a high comparison. A uh, lot of good good things, some Oscar buzz about it. That's going to be out December 1st. Zach, what do you think? Uh, this movie looks neat. I, I felt a little bad because I'd watched the trailer and kind of forgot what happens. Um, seems silly, but I revisiting it, I can say the things that stand out, number one, are, of course, Austin Butler, hot off the set of Elvis and what would have been Dune 2 uh, coming out next year now. Uh, but number two, Tom Hardy's like absurd accent, which is so funny. <laughs> like, I feel like I want to go see it just for that. Like I was saying before the show, he's, he's becoming the Nick Cage of weird accents. Like you get you get Tom Hardy with the right director. He'll do the weirdest voice you ever heard in your life. And like, you can't you can't help but check him <laughs> out. Um, I don't know, man. Bike riders seems to be neat. Also excited to see uh, uh, Mike Face back again from West Side Story. Mm-hmm. He would have been get this, uh, Luca Guadagnino's Challengers. I think was supposed to come out this weekend, so that didn't happen. That got pushed way back. And he would have had a great fall. Challengers. <laughs> he would have been. Yeah, he would have been uh, a big deal right now, right? People would have been like, "Oh man, Challengers is out," but it's fine. Uh, and of course, Jodie Comer's rock solid. Love her. Uh, I want to talk about this one other movie, uh, Saltburn. Saltburn is uh, Emerald Fennel's new feature. She previously did uh, Pretty Young Woman, a promising, promising young woman. Excuse me. God, every time I mess that up, I feel terrible <laughs> because that movie's so specific. Like too uh, respecting, obviously, women. Saltburn is a bit of a different feature, uh, starring Barry Cohen. Uh, as a young man going to Oxford University who uh, begins to fancy the uh, uh, high high, high and eccentric life after uh, going with one of his classmates who he seems to kind of be into, uh, back to his home for vacation in uh, Saltburn, his royal family estate. Uh, big parties, big kids, big sunsets, big eyes, big, big lenses. Saltburn looks like a rather interesting feature, and there's been a lot of buzz at uh, smaller, uh, what, what, Telluride maybe it ran? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah somewhere ran. somebody saw it, and it's been getting a lot of buzz as being like a really incredible feature. Uh, also stars Jacob Elordi, uh, an up-and-comer, as, as uh, Barry Cohen's uh, fa- fair, fair fan, and... Uh, I don't know. Saltburn, Andy, what do you think? I have no idea what this movie is about, but I am a little excited to see it. Uh, it looks all over the the place. Like like I said, it's like this big estate with who knows what goes on behind uh, closed doors. Also stars Rosamund Pike, who who I've heard gives a great uh, performance. Uh, Carrie Mulligan as well. Archie Madukwe, who we just saw in uh, the Gran Turismo movie, is also in it. So... Uh, but the thing is, like, you can't really tell what it's about. Like, you're like, is it kind of a love story or, or just like some sort of something? Uh, it looks like um, I don't know. I don't even, I don't even know what to c- compare it to. Uh, it looks like a bunch of wealthy twenty somethings uh, spending their time in this giant um, Eng- uh, English estate, and we'll we'll see what it's about. I've heard it compared to the the Matt Damon feature, The Talents of Mr. Ripley. Like, I don't know if you ever saw that movie. Uh, Matt Damon yeah. plays this. Have you seen that movie? Yeah. 
oh, yeah. he, he plays yeah. this Absolutely. uh yeah he plays this kind of character you kind of kind of odd odd fellow who uh kind of becomes charmed by this gentleman at a vacation place and he goes with him back to his home and then ends up kind of like becoming him in, in this weird twist of fate like it's it's an odd feature but yeah like i think it's kind of similar to that like barry Cowan's character kind of falls for him and follows him back home and i don't know i don't know but uh yeah it looks like something else Saltburn. keep an eye on oscript for more about that feature one more movie to talk about this week on the show i'm excited to talk about this one uh i didn't really expect for this to be a show feature but it kind of panned out uh, we had heard this was going to be screening as a fathom event around the country we thought we'll check it out maybe it'll be the 4k i don't think it was but what it was was the 35th anniversary of john carpenter's they live so they live is a story about fascism and censorship and oppression and police states. Uh, they live is the story of uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, who is a man who is just rolled into town, a bit of a nomad uh, who's rolled into the big city uh, with a with a bundle on his back with his belongings in it and a, and a jacket, and he uh, is just looking for a job, just lo- looking to looking to get up and get started somewhere new, right? A, fr- a fresh start. Uh, and uh, he meets Keith David on, on a job site, a young up-and-comer who's also looking to, to get a gig. And he's, Keith David says, you homeless? Well, come with me to the homeless shelter. I'll help you out. Uh, the two of them go. It's there they discover uh, a bit of an odd operation happening out of the local church involving a bunch of these pairs of mysterious sunglasses and this mysterious group of individuals who get the police cracked down on them in this big action scene. Big John Carpenter, right? Big 80s, big explosions, crash zooms and squibs on everybody. Uh, but when Keith David and Rowdy Rowdy Piper put these mysterious glasses on, suddenly they discover uh, that the world is not as it seems. And uh, uh, anywhere they look, they'll see uh, advertising or, or, or content change to messages of, of, of fascist demand, right? They'll obey or, or, or uh, spend money or procreate or whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and occasionally on the street they'll see people who aren't really people but these strange alien creatures who seem to know something about this advertising and know when they've been seen and the only way to get rid of them uh, is through violence <laughs> In, in a way only John Carpenter can. It's a maniacal sort of feature if you've never seen They Live. Very unique, very odd. It stands out in Carpenter's filmography because I don't think it's quite as grounded as his other features, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Andy, uh, what did you think of They Live? So a little backstory. Uh, there was a time in the 90s when, um, you know, on like Fridays and the weekends, you would have a lot of movies come on uh, cable TV. And uh, a lot of times you they were in a lot of the same movies and you would catch just bits and pieces. And like I've seen the end of Terminator 2 a million times. And They Live was also one of those movies that came on. And I feel like I'd only ever seen the second half of it. Never seen how the whole thing uh, started, uh, funnily enough. Um, it's interesting to see the start because it actually starts pretty serious. It, it, it you know, brings up issues of like economic downturn and disparity and... Uh, Roddy Piper's character is like, man, it's not that bad. You know, you just got to play by the work hard and play by the rules and thing. Good things will happen. And I was like, you're, you're homeless. You're literally like sleeping in <laughs> under a bridge, man. Like licking boots. Uh, yeah. Thing, yeah. Things are, aren't going, uh, great. And I, I remember a lot of the, the action sequences. Um, but, but it's interesting because it, it turns into just kind of an eighties shoot 'em up, 
but it kind of does touch on some pretty heavy issues. And I think this is also the definition of like a cult classic because it wasn't a huge box office success, but it's a movie that most people, you know, past a certain age have seen or at least seen seen parts of uh, over, over the years. Yeah, I think John Carpenter's work like gets a lot of attention uh, over time because a lot of his features when they came out did well to not super well, right? Like the big ones you know him for are Halloween, right, and Halloween two and Halloween three. Like uh, the ones you don't know, and 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 uh, God, uh, the thing, right, which is a thing now, but like back when it came out, did terrible. Uh, I heard that movie came out near E.T. and that's part of the reason it bombed. Weird bit of movie trivia. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, he did, uh, what, Escape from New York and Big Trouble in Little China, like movies that did okay, but like have grown a lot culturally since. And They Live, I think, is another one of these features. Um, a lot like Big Trouble in Little China, it is surreal. It is it is a surreal feature, They Live, uh, because it seems relatively grounded and it's open. But honestly, like I had kind of forgotten how a lot of it how a lot of it's paced since I'd seen it. I've only ever seen it once or twice and seeing it on the big screen was tremendous. Uh, but it, the, the opening bits are slow, man. It's a lot of like slow plotting characters mm-hmm. kind of walking around, creeping around a scene with like this boom, 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 boom soundtrack going. That's very noir, but you know, Carpenter does all of his soundtracks. So it's him. Um, but it doesn't, it's, it's not very exciting. And I think the reason those bits you remember from TNT is because those are the bits that are memorable, like all the explosions and whatnot happened in mostly the second half of this feature. Yeah, it, it does. It, it is start, it is slow in starting, uh, but remember that this is a sci-fi story uh, essentially that, and there are groups of people who know that there are, you know, these aliens that that walk among us. Um, you know, the, the the whole title or the the whole phrase is "They live, we sleep." And so this group is trying to get the message out of, like, we're asleep. Put on these glasses, and you can see the world uh, for w- what it is. <laughs> the modern day uh, version of this would be b- being woke, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, but being yeah. aware uh, of societal issues, like the powers that that be, not just going about uh, your kind of mundane life, um, you can tell this is something that suffered from studio notes, and the, where the studio was like, "Add another gunfight, uh, add another shootout, <laughs> like <laughs> just keep shooting." Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, like Carpenter's like sarcasm and like cynicism really comes out in this feature because like it's incredibly dark it's like especially the ending it, it is it is not a it's not a pleasant end uh in they live um but i love the way violence is handled because like cops will roll through like to crack down on the homeless shelter and like the opening act uh and it is like they're, they're like terminators they're like walking down with their riot shields faceless like nameless just like beating people up out of nowhere you can't reason with them they're just they're brutal and meanwhile like when rowdy rowdy piper uh finally puts a pair of sunglasses on and lights up in act two he storms into a bank and starts spouting off the most hilarious lines like like uh god i i came here it- to chew bubble gum and kick ass <laughs> I'm all out of bubblegum. Uh or even better, Mama Don't Like Tattletales, which is so funny. Like I, like <laughs> hilarious, you know? Like his ability to lift violence um with with like clever visuals and leaning into like the ultra nature of it is is particularly biting here. It works fine in the thing. It works great in Halloween, but here like it's it's 
it's funny and uh, like i really appreciate that well and you see the 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 budget uh so i just looked it, it up this was made on three million dollar budget made around 15 million dollars so it was still profitable especially by 80s standards um but not like a big uh runaway hit or anything but uh it is a lot of fun. Like I said, there's lots of, of excessive violence and shootouts and uh, Roddy Piper is just, he's a man of action. He just, he like, he kind of get, gets a whiff that things are wrong and he immediately starts blasting. He's like, he's like, people are going to start shooting the bad guys. Um, like the first thing he does is kind of, uh, he kills two police officers who he, he realizes are aliens or whatever, but he's like, he no hesitation just immediately starts blasting. And then is like, well, I guess I'm I'm on the run now. <laughs> um, yeah. So not not the most fleshed out character, but but very fun. Yeah, Roddy Piper did not have a illustrious career. Well, yeah, take it back. He, he he did a lot of smaller projects in film, but obviously he never like rose to any kind of like genuine Hollywood height. Uh, and it's surprising a little when you think of they live because it's imagery is so iconic, right? The big obey like signs and, and, and the, the, the glasses and the, 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 the Martians, even if you don't know the movie, you've probably seen, you know, these things from the front of a Spencer's gifts window. Uh, Roddy Piper does, is not actually all that charismatic in this movie. He's really good at being the strong, silent type, right? It's that thing like Ryan Gosling plays in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Loose cannon. Like you, don't, you don't talk a lot, yeah, right. You just like look real stern and like you look tough when you need to, and you get in gunfights and like he does that stuff great, and that draws on his like wrestling experience. I think one of the real stars here, and he's good in this movie. It's it's Keith David. Like Keith David's great. Yeah, in this our boy movie. Keith David. <laughs> Keith David's rock solid. Every scene he's in, he's 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 got great delivery, confident, like good action on screen. He scraps it up with Roddy and what is one of the most exciting fistfight scenes ever in a movie. Uh, it's like six minutes long and very funny. Like I, I just, I guess on rewatch, I was impressed at how much comedy is like in this feature that I'd kind of forgotten about. Little subtle things, you know, um, that really dress it up. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> I wanted to talk about the the six minute fight scene. Uh, it just goes on and on. This is the one thing I remember from this movie, seeing seeing it growing up, is like this this fist fight between the two go on forever because uh, Roddy Piper's character is trying to get Keith David to put on these sunglasses and he just won't. And he's like, no, I don't want anything to do with you. Stay away from me. And he's like, no, you have to see the truth. And so they just fight. And the thing is, the fight goes on so long because it starts and stops several times like you think it's done you think they they're both like beating each other up and both no they just keep going and like and of course because he he roddy piper was a wrestler they they throw in some more wrestling style you know sequences in in there it's not just like a regular uh fisticuffs punch up yeah like it's 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 dressed up for comedy's sake and i think it, it works like really well because it doesn't the movie never leans in and like pokes you in the ribs right like it it expects you to kind of fall into what it's telling you and in that way i think it's like it's a clever bit of subliminal messaging insofar as like how absurd the ending is i had forgotten like just how wild the ending that they live gets um they got like portals to other galaxies (laughs) 
that are that are never explained it's it's laughable how much they don't explain them They're like yeah i don't really remember how it works anyway look look over here you know like uh carpenter like really jumps the shark i think in the script here and i i i don't know i i guess he didn't go on to do a lot more features like this because i think he probably knew like when it came out didn't do that great like okay yeah i can't i can't make many more you know of these i won't get very far but um, it's really clever that it exists. It's clever that it's it's we're able to see it on its 35th anniversary. The, the Fathom event funny opened with little <laughs> this like miserable Zoom call from John Carpenter, who's like it wasn't live; <laughs> yeah. it was pre-recorded. He's like clearly reading off a screen on his couch, like he just put down the controller and playing the new Dead Space, and he's like, "Yeah, I, I, I'm John Carpenter, and like I'm cat, I'm collecting my check." It was so funny. But he did say in there that, like, you know, uh, they live is maybe more relevant now than it was when it came out. And, like, when you think about what it has to say about rampant consumerism and, like, what that means for society as a whole, I I think that's probably true, man. Like, it's not like anybody learned anything from they live. Uh, I I think it has a lot. I think it had a lot to say in 88. It definitely has a lot to say now. Yeah, I think that's kind of one of the profound things is that... um, while it's while it's you know a dated 80s movie the message is, is still kind of the same because it's not just about the the consumerism and the you know obey it's it's about like everyone trying to just claw claw their way to the top and keep other people down in doing it and that's still a very relevant theme uh today uh i was gonna say that it definitely has a little bit of that twilight zone feel feel where it's like it's like an elongated episode something like that and that's where that's part of the reason why they don't really explain like the the portals or interstellar navigation um because it's based on a a short story it probably doesn't go into that uh much detail on that front yeah uh ultimately i think like they live is a better feature than i remembered going in and i was already excited to watch it again just because i've always known about you know it's kind of cult status and i'd seen it once or twice and i was like yeah i like they live fine actually walking out of it i was like man i liked it even more than i did going in um so it's a satisfying rewatch i think for me as far as the 35th anniversary stuff goes it's a great looking movie i don't think it's the 4k print i know there is a 4k print i, I don't think this is it they, they didn't specify anything on the website it looked fine on the big screen i think um Soundtrack certainly plays great. And a couple of odd uh, uh, John Carpenter jump scares that I'd kind of forgotten about, like random explosions <laughs> in the middle of a scene. Uh, there's a great like Hitchcock, like top down scare shot right in the middle of the movie. It's, it's, it's good stuff. Like if you haven't, if you haven't revisited it. Yeah, it, it's absolutely like, there's a reason it's a, it's a classic. There's a reason that people are familiar with a lot of its iconography, even if, they haven't seen the movie or like, again, the movie didn't really make a, a ton of money, but um, there's lots of things from this movie that it's worked its way into pop culture. Mm, definitely. Andy, would you recommend they live? Absolutely. It's, it's a, uh, it's a cult classic. It's a classic of sci-fi and kind of down and dirty film filmmaking. One of uh, John Carpenter's uh, it's part of his, his catalog. Um, it's a lot, it's a lot of fun. It's a little slow in the, the beginning, but it definitely gets going, uh, midway through and you get a lot of action by the end. Yeah. I think this movie is tremendous. Uh, like I said, I liked it more than I did when I went in, uh, which I was not sure was going to happen when I came out. Um, 
I also thought when I, before I went and saw it again, I was like, why didn't Roddy Piper get more work? It's a shame. He's a good actor. Then coming out, I was like, okay, I see why he didn't get more work. But still fine, like rock solid, uh, good all around, very funny. Uh, go check out They Live if you can swing it. And if not, you know, I think it's, it's on streaming somewhere out there. I'm sure you can track it down. John Carpenter <laughs> wants you to watch it. It's relevant. And that's, uh, that's They Live. And that's the show for the week. Hard to believe. God, we're already at the end of episode 226. Uh, Andy, what are we watching next week? We're going to be taking a look at Haunting in Venice, the latest Hercule Poirot, uh, famous detective from Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile, which we reviewed a couple of years ago <laughs> back during uh, our Yes, of course. Uh, um. So that that comes out next week. That's in theaters only. Then we'll we'll get we got to find something else to watch. Uh, it's then in September, even on streaming. Um, so and some other releases you, just to make you aware of. Uh, this Saturday is Batman Day, uh, September sixteenth. So if you're looking to, you can catch the Dark Knight trilogy in in theaters. I got some tickets to go see the Dark Knight, um, which I haven't seen in theaters since it came out. Um, so I'm going to enjoy that. And also, uh, next, next week, um, I don't think we're going to cover this, but it will be coming out is, uh, the fourth movie in the expendables, uh, series will be out on September 22nd. Is that like expend four bulls or is that like yes. X four and the bulls? Yeah. Love it. Uh, yeah, no, Something unfortunately like not, not, not covering that one. I, I want to make it. Remember clear those guys you used to love that can't get Dude. work anymore. <laughs> They're all in Cre- this movie. Christine and I were talking about this. There are definitely movies sometimes that Andy and I are like, you know what? Neither of us want to see that, so we're just not going to go see it. And sometimes Expendables 4 is that movie. And it doesn't happen all the time. I wasn't super stoked on Fast X, but we definitely covered it on the show. So I just want I want people to know out there, it's not that we're writing these movies off as bad features. If we don't see it, we just don't get around to it. It's okay. Like, no worries. But uh, for streaming, we can track down something cool. Maybe we can get together and... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I got a couple ideas. You, you and I will rap about it. There's past there. lives. But there's after sun. There's a lot. I, I, I hear that Paul Mescal character is he's on the come up. That after sun might be it. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, uh, if you enjoyed the show today, Off Script Episode 226, the easiest way you can support us, tell us you liked it, tell us what you thought, share your opinion with us, uh, is to leave a comment wherever you're watching the show. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube where we got a ton of really cool stuff going on, uh, you can leave, leave a comment below the video or check out some of our other things. If you're not on YouTube, go check out the YouTube. A lot of cool things going on. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, all the usual social media places. Uh, and we're on iTunes and Spotify and iHeartMedia and Google Play. Anywhere you're getting your audio podcasts, you'll hear us here too. Of course, if you're on audio, it may not be easy for you to leave a comment, but you can leave a rating and review, which might even be more helpful than a comment. Tell us what you thought of the show. And subscribe if you're able. Tell your friends to subscribe. Grab your friend's phone when they're not looking and hit the subscribe button. Do us a solid here at Offscript. Uh, if you want to write us direct, the best way to do it is uh, via email, mail at offscriptphonereview.com. You can check out our website, offscriptphonereview.com, for more from Offscript. Interviews and clips and segments and exciting things we got going on. You can find out everything over there. And uh, that's the show. That's the show for the week. Uh, from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.